This morning we are uh, concluding our two-part series, The Way to the Father. And it started with a kind of idea that we should think correctly and rightly about our salvation, about our Savior, and sometimes the blurry idea and living Christian life that way is always leads us to very man-centered way of living. And looking into Scripture, our key passages are coming from Gospel of John, John 14 and John 8. And let's start with a little recap. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are four things that I would like us to review and in going into today's passage. First of all, the title of our series or the message, The Way to the Father, is so focused on what the salvation is in, in light of Scripture. Salvation is not about going to a place we often think about going to heaven and going to the pearly gate and saying Peter will ask questions why he would let us in, that kind of thing, and the cloud and all that. But it is not about so much about going to place, but about going to a person, God, our Heavenly Father. It is a returning to where we came from, and the restoration, redemption made it possible, and Jesus provides the way. Salvation is not a change of environment to perfect environment. Oftentimes that's man's centered way of defining what heaven is. But salvation is change of being who we are because of our transformation of our inner being that we are allowed, permitted by sovereign grace to be on the way to the Father. Secondly, according to this verse and throughout the passage, uh, other passages, it makes so clear that Jesus declared not as one who knows the way, most world religions will say that. Okay, I found the way, or enlightenment have come to me, and you follow this way. Now, Jesus is actually referring to himself as the way, and not only as the way, but the only way, as the son who came from God. As I mentioned last week, the normal expression of going to somewhere is no one comes to, no one goes to the Father, God, except through me. But Jesus specifically, intentionally mentioned no one comes to the Father except through me, implying that Jesus came from God the Father. Thirdly, Jesus is the way to the Father because he is the life, and he is the truth, and he gives us life, and he gives us truth, which leads to the way to the Father. 
So last week we focused on the, the Jesus the life. And this, um, this week we're going to look at Jesus the truth. Jesus being the truth. But in summarizing in one sentence, last year Jesus gives us eternal life. Life. But once again, the biblical definition of eternal life is not a package we receive and you put it outside like a life insurance kind of thing. But eternal life in Jesus' definition is a life connection to Jesus divine himself. And Jesus being connected to the source of life, the living Father, and John 6, 57 says, I live because of the Father, and that you will live because of me, if you come to me. So eternal life is connecting to the life source through Lord Jesus. The vine and the branch, uh, the analogy fits in really well. Another way of thinking about it is you know, the way that we have this power. It doesn't matter how much good an instrument you might have. Unless we don't have the source of power, we will not have the light. And that is ongoing eternal life, which means even today we are to live the life that Jesus gives. So, question that this morning we're asking is in what way? How is Jesus the truth which eventually leads us to God, which becomes the way to the Father? Our passage is uh, two passages. I'm going to interweave those two passages together and think about critically the doctrine of Christ as our Savior in terms of truth, Jesus being the truth. Let's look at John 8 first. John 8, verse 31 to 33. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, you are offspring, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? A few observations. Number one, um, these are friendly crowd at, at first glance because they believed Jesus. But later in the passage, the more we read the story, the more we realize their faith was pseudo-faith, incomplete faith. What I mean by that is when somebody has a good opinion about Jesus, and even some of our unbelieving friends might have that, oh, I believe Jesus is really cool. I'm against the institution of the church, but Jesus is cool. I love him. I like him. 
I like a lot about things about scripture, especially somewhere on the mount. There's like a pick and choose kind of cherry picking thing going on. But when it, when it comes to final answer of do you consider him as your savior? That without him, you will be damned to hell. Uh, not sure. But he's a good teacher. And these Jews were just that. Have a really good opinion about Jesus. Who comes to your mind when you think about someone like that? Nicodemus. Nicodemus was not only a wealthy man, but he was a his social status was very respected. Uh, member of a Sanhedrin. So he was a scholar, Bible scholar. He was also religious leader. In John chapter four, three, he comes to Jesus at night. An obvious reason, right? Because Jesus was a controversial figure. He was afraid to, to be seen by other Pharisees and other Sanhedrin member visiting, him visiting Jesus during daytime. So nighttime was a little kind of under the radar kind of thing. And as soon as Jesus greets him, his first words are compliments. Sir, I know you have come from heaven. Otherwise, you cannot do all these Miracles, wonderful things. So in other words, you're cool, Jesus. And Jesus said in verse 3, in that chapter, without any introduction or, oh, thank you for the compliment. Oh, you, you get something. No, he says, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was one of these Jews. We don't know clearly what happened to these Jews. We know from the tradition, from others who are background story uh, scholars will tell them Nicodemus probably came to know Christ later on. He was one of those people. Well, we don't know for sure. But we know that Jesus distinguished and saw through their heart Their faith was not really saving faith. Now, this is a hard thing, even for our generation. You don't have to be a Jew. Why? Because most of our Christianity today is slightly different version of what Jesus said about saving faith. I'm being careful here because a lot of extremists or cults will claim the extreme definition of faith a lot to do with legalism. But plain language, Jesus is saying, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That means they have none. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Huh. Do you see that? Jesus 
equated abiding his word in his word is the same as knowing the truth. Why so? Because Jesus, his word, the truth, because Jesus came from the Father who is the source of all truth. And once again, this is not a, a well-received, popular truth. Because we're living in a postmodern generation, subjective truth is popular. And there is no such a thing as an absolute truth. And then Christians are somewhat influenced by that. And when, the Jesus, when Jesus says that no one comes to the Father... We're stuck. Jesus gives us a fork of the road. What about those people who are so nice and so good? People like Gandhi. Are you saying Gandhi doesn't go to heaven? What about those people who are just giving away their wealth? Millions and billions of dollars. Their philanthropic Efforts are everywhere. Can't you see that? They made such a difference. But Jesus still continues to uniquely says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Because he himself is the truth. And another, another, another way of looking at the Jesus' claim of, as the truth is, um, this famous phrase, you shall know the truth, and you, the truth will set you free is quite well known. And even uh, secular philosophers would use that phrase. Truth will set you free. Obviously, they refer to it either uh, philosophical truth or scientific truth. And there's a, some sense when enlightenment of scientific knowledge comes in, or the philosophical truth comes in, there is awakening of the person. No, Jesus means much more than that. The truth is primarily about who God is, who we belong to. The two passages that is concurrent with what Jesus is saying, uh, John 17, verse 8 through 8, 7 through 8, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. At the very end of his life, he's praying for his disciples, but that his disciples also include all of us in that. Verse 7, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, the Father gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. The words that Jesus is, has spoken have come from Father, the Father. And it gets even more serious, as Jesus ex explains even more later. But another passage is uh, John 18, 
before the governor of Rome who's presiding, who's ruling over Israel at that time. And because execution was only solely could be run by the Roman Empire, the religious leaders and Sanhedrin Pharisees, all they got together and brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate. And then the conversation goes like this. Then Pilate asked, said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? Jesus didn't answer that. Probably because Pilate didn't really want to know. He was just reacting to that. And the other thing is that Jesus always speaks the truth about himself to the people who are open to him. And then at this moment, Jesus is more silent, like a lamb who's taking to the slaughter's house, passage says. But did you catch that? He said, my purpose is to bear, win- bear, to the win- bear witness to the truth. So what is the truth? What is he be- bearing? The first point was that Jesus' word him- himself, itself is the truth. And Jesus, number two, Jesus is the truth because Jesus shows us God in himself. Now we're shifting to chapter 14. After Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the, father and the life, who, no one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Before we kind of write off Philip here, if you ask our heart, if, uh, if we ask ourselves, the Philip's question is the, answer, the question for all of us. Lord, show us the Father, then he will be good enough for us. We want to see God. We want, we want to see that the, all that we came from, all that who, who, who he is as a creator and sovereign Lord, And Lord of the Lords, show us God. And Jesus is saying, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And it doesn't take 
you know, theologian to figure it out. Oh, Jesus is referring to himself as God. Jesus is equating his identity, essential being, as same as the Father. And going back to his purpose, he came to bear witness to the truth. The truth is about, actually, God. So in some sense, Jesus' truth and Jesus' word shows who God is because he came from the Father and he knows the Father. He is the only one who knows the Father. And Stay with me. I, I think we're going to uh, come to the practical application that Robert Minster wrote, but this sound theology is very, very important. Some putting it a very simple way for the revelations to be true. Revelation meaning no one human being can reveal it because God Himself is the only the source of that revelation. God has to reveal. So here is the one who reveals God, Jesus Christ, and one who is revealed, God the Father. In order for revelation to be true revelation, one who reveals and one who is revealed must be the same person. Does that make sense? Very simply, the theologians go into the depth of this argument, but when you think about there's no one who has a source of knowledge. God, supreme being, almighty God, omniscient God, only knows. And then somebody's going to reveal about God, and that person must be divine. And Jesus is basically saying, I am the truth because Father and I are one. Jesus is not a religious leader. Jesus is not a, a teacher, good teacher, moral teacher, who shows us the way. But Jesus is actually, the truth himself reveals God in himself. You know how uh, incredible this is. You know, Jewish Bible and uh, a Christian Bible, as far as the Old Testament is the same. But Jewish people, because of their rejection of Christ and Messiah, and majority except the Messianic Jews who are believers in Christ, because they have, they have rejected the New Testament, their image of God is very limited because of the Old Testament only. But think about how much we are shown by Lord Jesus himself. He calls the Father God, Abba, the Father. And he, he shows how the Trinity, triune God, exists together in equal, call, I mean, full harmony of perfect community 
among the three persons. In Old Testament, there's a implications of that. The New Testament, full triune God. And because of that, many cults are usually circle around this issue. How can God be one and three persons and Jehovah's Witnesses in one, one to one direction and Mormons went to another direction that all can become God, a pluralistic God eventually and Jesus became God and there are other United Church or the Oneness Pentecostal, those are the ones that saying that one God and then minimize the role of the Spirit, the deity of Jesus, and the deity of the Spirit. Why is it so important? Because of this. John 1.18, Jesus said, No one has seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Only God who is at the Father's side. The writer of John's Gospel says, He has made him known. How about John 17, verse 25 to 26? Once again, Jesus' own prayer, high priestly prayer. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that I have, you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you, love, you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Why is it so important to really embrace that Jesus' word itself is truth and that truth points to to God himself, because Jesus himself is revealing himself as God because of this third point. Jesus is the truth because Jesus' truth leads us to God by setting us free from sin. Before we read that passage, going back to chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. Think about this. Way to the Father is a salvation. How come no one can go to the Father except through Jesus? Because of sin. God is holy. Bible makes it so clear that God will require holiness, being perfect. Because of our original sin once again, the fallen self, the sin is, becomes a hindrance to block that life, we lost that life that God has given us. Everyone is separated from God without Christ. When we are born physically, we're born being separated from God, which is we don't have. We have physical life for the time being, but we don't have spiritual life. The eternal life means a physical, spiritual life all continuing. Remember the last day Jesus will raise us up, all the believers. So one, number one problem was, is lifelessness, death. 
as a consequence of sin. Then Jesus being the life, he gives us the life as we are trusting in him as our life. We have the way to the Father. And today, Jesus sets us free from the blocks, our slavery and the sin is there and gives us freedom. Now we are free to go to the Father. Verse 34. Jesus said, answered them to answer who? The, the Jews who were saying, set us free. We had never been enslaved. They're thinking physically. And Jesus is speak, talking about spiritual freedom. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Who has eternal life? You have to change, go through the change of being, not environment. Verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with, with, with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Instead of trusting and obeying by faith what Abraham did, and they're actually going the opposite way. And truth came, they didn't recognize him, they didn't listen to him, they didn't really obey him. It's a sweeping statement. Is it really true, Jesus? Anyone who practiced sin, even a little bit of sin, a little bit of gossip, a little bit of kind of lustful idea without acting out, is a slave to sin? The idea of sin is not an act. In, according to scripture, sin is power. Our fallen self is living under the power of sin. Let, let, me, let me just say a few of my personal experience. I, I, I met people, uh, even during my uh, student ministry days, the people who are in, you know, has a gambling addiction. Crying the balls, I mean, just eyeballs are really just coming out, and it's just repentance, and it's more of a remorse at that moment, and saying, "I was going to quit after this one. This is the last one that I did, but I did it again. I mean, a deeper death." And one student called me. My former uh, youth group kids, and and came up with this weird idea: is that they, he lost the, his tuition for that semester. My dad's gonna kill me, Bob. Please, can you let me borrow? I don't know how much it was, four thousand, five thousand, some something like that. But 
I didn't have money, but I thought through, even if I had money, I, you know, I'm not going to give it to you. To give it to you will not be my truest love for you. You don't believe me. This angst happens, right? How can you not believe me? I swear to God. It's, it's a lost. Go to your dad then. Another case. The people who are going through dependence and alcoholic uh, syndrome. I said, uh, this is the last one. Today will be the last day I drink, and from then on, no more. And how many times did you say that? So many times. And people are chemical dependent, drug abuse, same thing. The smoker said, one smoker said, uh, I could quit any time. So why don't you quit? I already did. Hundreds of times. Well, at this point, we might want to, distance, want to distance ourselves from those people who have a typical addictions known as, uh, you know, they need recovery, go to 12 steps and whatnot. But you know what? You and I have the same problem when it comes to I must stop these negative thoughts and stop complaining. Can you stop? No. How many times have I told myself, I need to be humble and listen to my wife. Just make her feel understood. I'm going to do it. But I can't do it. I fail over and over. I, I, I think so many times I, I, my spiritual, spirituality is completely shattered and then my real self before God and brokenness happens in my marriage, in my parenting. I will never scream at my kids. I will never blow up. And that, including the moments that if you saw me yelling at my kids, you will be deeply disappointed. Well, I don't care. You know what? Because at least you don't see what's going through my heart. The deepest, darkest, hidden motives I feel disgusted about. If you are being honest, that is the power of sin in our lives. If you know the Son, who is the truth, Jesus will set you free. In two things, this is no joke. And Jesus is saying, you shall be free instantaneously from the damnation of sin. What's the damnation? The guilt. You have committed crime. You, ha- you are to pay for the penalty of the sin. An eternal damnation. And not only the guilt and feeling bad about all that, but there's a penalty waiting, 10 sentences waiting for us. The wrath of God happens to be real. And no one can come to the Father except through Jesus because of this reason. And the second freedom Jesus gives us, he will set us free because he broke the power of sin. 
And he gives us freedom from the power of sin. The two things happens always in this the journey of way to the Lord. The one is already. We are already free. Completely free. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatsoever. Already we are free. But not yet. But the old fallen nature, fallen self is living within us. And spiritual battle is about against that old false self. Until we see Jesus to face, face to face, we will struggle with that power. And the currently our salvation is being saved from the power of sin, which is also called sanctification. Guess what? Spiritual growth is not so much about more, getting more knowledge about the Bible. Whether you are experiencing more freedom from the power of sin. I want to talk about this some other time, but there is a caveat. We have a recurring sin, the weak spot. Because of our brokenness, because of our parents, and because of all the environment stuff, we're messed up in a unique way. So will, that, will I be struggle with that? Of course, you will continue to for the rest of your life. Oh, gee, great. <laughs> but you, if you belong to Christ, you will experience supernatural power that you did not have to overcome some of the impossibility that you used to have. For example, you could forgive the person you cannot forgive. You could humble yourself and be vulnerable when that was impossible to you. Many of our brothers went through that. Many of our sisters went through that. And you could honestly say, I commit to love you, even though I have never any kind of feelings left anymore. Because Jesus loved me. That is freedom from the power. Money and fame used to have a grab, grasp on you, the tight control on you. But because of Jesus' truth set you free, you're continually become freer. Zacchaeus, his life was loneliness, nothing but wealth, defrauding by through defrauding. But he when he came to know Christ, he was free from that. I will pay back anyone I defrauded as a tax collector four times, not double, four times. That is a true sign of freedom and true fruit of repentance. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, that made alive in the spirit. Romans 6, 17 to 18, 
but thanks to thanks be to God that you were who who were, were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness Paul talks about this idea about whoever to whom you ever present yourself your body you become slave to that and as a christian ongoing this not yet thing how do you deal with that you continually present your bodies to to the spirit to the righteousness and that you will experience more freedom ever increasingly more you will be sanctified Actually, I want to just end with uh, this quote. J.C. Ryle, he wrote this, 1878. And once again, these are one of those uh, old classics uh, are available at, you could buy hard copy with money. Or, or even e-copy for dollar or something. But the, all these are available. If you look for J.C. Ryle's writing, he writes, there is no other way to become Christ's free man than that of simply believing. It is by faith, simple faith in him as our Savior and Redeemer that man's souls are made free. It is by receiving Christ, trust, trusting Christ, committing ourselves to Christ, reposing our whole weight on Christ. It is by this and by no other plan the spiritual liberty is made our own. As mighty as are the privilege which Christ's free men possess, they all become a man's property in the day that the first, he first believes. He may not yet know their full value, but they are all his own. He's talking about already not yet here too. He who believes in Christ is not condemned and justified, is born again, is an heir of God and has everlasting life. Let us never forget that this is the point to which we must turn our eyes if we would know whether we have a saving interest in Christ's redemption. Waste not your time in spec speculation whether you are elect and converted or vessel of grace. Stand not pouring over the unprofitable question whether Christ died for you or not. This is a point of which no one ever made any question in the Bible. Settle your thoughts on this. One simple inquiry. Do I really trust in Christ as a humble sinner? Do I cast myself on him? Do I believe? Look not to anything else. Look at this alone. Fear not to rest your soul on plain text and promises of Scripture. If you believe, you are free.
I think this is the truth that we need to hear this morning. And in, in, in our generation, we all ha- have this idea. Okay, but, and what? Believe in what? What would I do? Belief and faith itself seems so simple. And that we stumble over the simplicity, but and yet sovereign grace cannot be earned. We cannot add anything. So we need to really pay attention instead of thinking about even analyzing, even psychoanalyzing ourselves. Do I believe Jesus as my Savior, the life and the truth and the way to the, to, to the way the Father? May the Holy Spirit convicts us and gives us comfort and empowerment. I want to just show you the application that I wrote. Number one, more than anything, let's not assume we all are born again. We are to examine our hearts and examine our faith and be true disciples of Jesus by saving faith. Number two, We are to fully embrace our freedom in Christ today from the guilt and condemnation by sin. There is no, there there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. For the law of the Spirit, Holy Spirit of life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are no longer slaves in that. And we could claim that. So because of sovereign grace, what do we do? Do nothing? Sit around? Become inactive and passive? No. We are to abide in Jesus' words so that we would experience ongoing, continual freedom from the power of sin. And today's passage is worth enough to pay attention, read it again, memorize and carry it around all throughout the week. John 8, 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, have good thoughts about him, opinions about him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. May the Spirit set us free this week, experience the not only the ultimate freedom from the damnation of sin, but from the dominance, the power of sin this week. May you, by Christ and Spirit of God, experience the victories that you never experienced this week. Let's pray. Father, we believe this but we lack faith and so have mercy on us and increase our faith to trust and cling to this that we may experience the freedom that overflows from Jesus the life that overflows from Jesus and thank you Jesus that you are the way to the Father thank you Holy Spirit to illuminating 
to opening the eyes of our heart to see this. Thank you for giving new spirit, a new heart, a new desire to actually we would want this freedom. And teach us today as we celebrate that we are truly indeed free because of Christ. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray.